You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Tuesday, October 12th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the BBC headlines, the California Report is on the scene of the Elisal Fire in the Los Padres National Forest near Santa Barbara, which has caused evacuations and major highway closures. KVMR's resident water expert, Steve Baker, is back, and Paul Emery's got him for a conversation about the Southern California oil spill. And in this week's Money Matters, Mark Cuniberti considers an idea way out of the box, a single trillion-dollar coin to solve the nation's debt problems. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. A wind-driven fire in the backcountry near Santa Barbara has prompted evacuations and forced a shutdown of parts of the 101 freeway. The Elisal Fire broke out on Monday in the Los Padres National Forest and as of late yesterday had grown to more than 3,500 acres. The blaze is threatening about 100 structures, including several homes and ranches. Firefighters say they're concerned by the sheer amount of vegetation the fire can feed on. It's believed the last time the area immediately around the fire burned was in 1955. Pacific Gas and Electric says it's shut off power to about 25,000 of its customers in Central and Northern California, and Southern California Edison says it may do the same for more than 10,000 of its ratepayers. Utilities do this because they fear their equipment might spark wildfires, especially in dry and windy weather. Here's Gabriela Ornelas, a spokesperson with SoCal Edison. So we understand that public safety power shutoffs are a hardship for our customers and they interfere with our with customers daily lives. But this is a a measure of last resort that we use when we when conditions uh, present themselves. Looking ahead, PG&E says it expects to start restoring power this afternoon, but Edison says it may turn off power to customers in parts of Kern, Ventura, and northern Los Angeles counties. SoCal Edison's equipment has been a source of ignition for past blazes, like 2018's Woolsey fire. PG&E began intentionally shutting off power in the fall of 2019, after an investigation determined the campfire that wiped out most of the town of Paradise was sparked by PG&E's equipment. Let's turn to the oil spill in Orange County. Yesterday, California's Attorney General and Senator Alex Padilla visited the site of the disaster. Here's KQED's Marisa Lagos. Standing at Huntington State Beach, not far from the pipeline leak that pumped tens of thousands of gallons of crude oil into the water, Attorney General Rob Bonta pledged to work with federal and local law enforcement to investigate the disaster. When we get involved and when we use our tools, um, we hope that we will continue to do what we've always done, which is uh, be accurate, uh, be complete, be thorough, be objective, and most importantly, achieve accountability where necessary and realize justice. Bonta says the state could bring civil or criminal actions in connection with the oil spill, which was reported to federal authorities on the morning of October 2nd. By that time, as much as 131,000 gallons had seeped from a pipeline that runs from an offshore platform to the port of Long Beach. The attorney general's remarks came after he and Senator Alex Padilla took an air tour of the affected region. Padilla says the view from the sky was promising. It seemed the cleanup operations uh, are making tremendous, tremendous progress. Uh, trust me, we looked, but did not see any big, you know, patches of. Uh, Uh, oil on the surface of the water and the areas that we covered. 
Padilla also pushed his colleagues in Congress to pass a ban on new offshore oil drilling in federal waters. The state of California already bars new leases in the water it controls. You know, many of us, myself included, have been calling for a ban on offshore oil drilling in federal waters for a long time now. This is just the most recent reminder of why it's necessary and why it's urgent. And we have a prime opportunity to accomplish exactly that through this budget reconciliation bill in the next couple of weeks. Also Monday, Assembly Speaker Anthony Rendon announced the creation of a state legislative committee charged with investigating the cause of the spill, its impacts, and recommending any changes to state law that could help prevent leaks in the future. For the California Report, I'm Marisa Lagos. And work continues to save wildlife that's been affected by the oil spill in Orange County. So far, crews have been able to rescue 28 birds that were alive, but also recovered 45 that were dead. Michael Zaccardi is director of the Oiled Wildlife Care Network out of UC Davis, which is leading the recovery and rehabilitation efforts. He tells the California Report once the animals are rescued, they still have a lengthy recovery process. Once animals are completely normal, uh, body condition is normal, medical evaluation, uh, they're interacting with other animals in the pools the way they would normally do, um, then we can return them back to the clean environment. That whole process, typically for a healthy animal other than having oil on it, can take up to two weeks. Although most of the birds that have been recovered have been found in Orange County, a handful have also been rescued in San Diego and Los Angeles counties. Zaccardi says the scope of the damage to wildlife seems to have been limited thus far, but the full impact on wildlife may not be known for months or years. Let's turn to healthcare and labor. Thousands of Kaiser Permanente's registered nurses and other healthcare workers in Southern California could stage a walkout. Nearly all members represented by the United Nurses Association of California Union of Healthcare Professionals have voted to authorize a strike. Marisol Reyes is one of them. He's a registered nurse in the emergency department of Kaiser Permanente in Fontana who nearly died of COVID and then returned to care for other COVID patients. Less than two months from being diagnosed, I came back to work to, to show my commitment to my profession and to my organization. And I think it's about time that Kaiser should do the same, should do the same to its employees, to do the same to, to its members. The Kaiser workers say they're facing severe staffing shortages that put both employees and patients at risk. And they say Kaiser is proposing a new two-tiered pay system that would make matters worse. Kaiser disagrees, saying its new wage scale is at a competitive market rate. Both sides will be back at the bargaining table this week. If a strike is authorized, it wouldn't happen immediately. Kaiser would be given a 10-day notice as required by law. But if it happens, it would be one of the largest strikes in the country so far this year. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. Water heaters only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. 
And that is the California Report for Tuesday, October 12th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks so much for listening. In regional news, at 3.43 this afternoon, Ubinet.com reported a fire in Grass Valley off McCourtney Road near South Ponderosa Way and Shooting Star Lane. Within 10 minutes, full wildland resources, including more than 30 personnel and two air tankers, had been dispatched to the so-called Star incident. By 4.29 p.m., Ubinet reported that forward progress of the fire had been stopped after it burned three to five acres up to the boundary of the South Ponderosa shaded fuel break. No road closures or evacuations were necessary. Earlier today, a vegetation fire broke out after about 2 p.m. at Beale Air Force Base near base housing. According to Ubinet, the fire's forward progress was stopped with retardant drops after burning about 40 to 50 acres. Homes west of Camp Beale Highway had been evacuated, as was the base youth center. At its regular meeting today, the Nevada County Board of Supervisors unanimously approved a contract to conduct a countywide environmental impact report meant to increase the viability of universal, accessible broadband throughout the county. In a news release this afternoon, the county noted that expanding broadband became one of the board's major objectives for the year due to the benefits it would bring to support economic development, distance learning, telework, telemedicine, and general quality of life. Board Chairman Dan Miller was quoted in the news release as saying, This will put Nevada County in the position to have shovel-ready projects, putting us first in line for competitive state and federal broadband dollars. Supervisor Heidi Hall was quoted as saying, Simply put, this is the next step in getting fast, reliable internet into every home and business in Nevada County. The county's so-called programmatic EIR will address the environmental effects of broadband installation, including both underground and aerial fiber optic cable countywide. The idea is to achieve compliance with the California Environmental Quality Act in advance to streamline the process so that companies can take advantage of funding expected to flow from the state and federal government. The Nevada County Coronavirus Dashboard today reflects one new confirmed death from the coronavirus in the county, bringing the total deaths to 100. The total of county cases since the last report on Friday is 74. Cases were presumably not reported Monday because it was a holiday. Victims of the Summers River Fire in Nevada County have two weeks left to apply for federal disaster assistance, according to a statement from the California Office of Emergency Services published today on Ubinet.com. The deadline to apply for disaster assistance from the Federal Emergency Management Agency and Small Business Administration is October 25th. This applies to homeowners, renters, and business owners who experienced uninsured or underinsured damage from wildfires. The Union newspaper in Grass Valley reported today that an Alta Sierra resident was taken to Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital this morning with minor to moderate injuries after a large tree crashed through his house as part of an apparent tree felling incident. Multiple people were inside the two-story home when the tree crashed down, pinning the victim under it on the second story of the home just before 11 a.m. He was freed after a few minutes. 
Nevada County Consolidated Battalion Chief Josh Sundy said the unidentified victim was very lucky. When firefighters arrived, the workers involved in the incident had already removed a large portion of the tree, though the man was still pinned. Sunday said, we were able to get the debris off of him and able to get him out of the house. In the weather for our region, a red flag warning for our area remains in effect until 7 this evening, with gusty winds and low humidity creating critical fire weather conditions. A warming trend is expected through the rest of the week, with breezy north winds and low humidity expected again on Thursday. Tonight in Nevada City and Grass Valley, some clouds and a low of 49 degrees. Mostly sunny Wednesday with a high of 65 and a low of 49. The air quality in Grass Valley this afternoon was good with an air quality index of 23. Wednesday's air quality in Grass Valley also is forecast to be good with an expected AQI of 19. In Truckee tonight, partly cloudy with a low of 24. Wednesday in Truckee, intervals of clouds and sunshine with a high of 53 and a low of 21. The air quality this afternoon in Truckee was good with an air quality index of 2. Wednesday's air quality is forecast to be good with an expected AQI of 15. In Sacramento, mostly clear tonight with a low of 44. Wednesday in Sacramento, sunny with a few passing clouds, a high of 71 and a low of 48. Sacramento's air quality this afternoon was good with an AQI of 2. Wednesday's air quality is forecast to be good with an AQI of 20. Next, Paul Emery talks to KVMR's resident water expert, Steve Baker, who applies his expertise to the mysteries surrounding the Southern California oil spill. This Water News with Steve Baker is supported by Clearwater and Filtration on Rough and Ready Highway, Grass Valley. Well, I'm speaking with Steve Baker, and it's time for this week's Water News. And Steve, you've been out and about doing a little traveling the last couple, three weeks. Um it looks like the big news is the Huntington Beach oil spill that occurred last week. Um, give us some information on, on what, what happened as you see it. Well, you know, I can almost visualize this because I used to live in Newport Beach, Costa Mesa for a short period of time. The boaters were doing their thing off of Newport Beach uh, back around October 1st, of, of, you know, first of this month. And they noticed petroleum motors in the air. And then they also started seeing oil sheens on the water. And so they contacted the authorities and the Coast Guard came in. Well, the next day, the Coast Guard did confirm that there was, in fact, a spill. Uh, A sheen on ocean uh, that were many miles wide was found, and the crude was starting to come ashore. And it was really the sticky, black, blobby stuff that we so commonly have seen in some of the Alaskan uh, leaks that have occurred. Now, Talbert Marsh uh, is a sensitive wetlands down there, and they receive some of this oil, which concerned people. Also, Newport Beach, Laguna Beach, Dana Point, these are beautiful places. They received some of this oil, too. And then even further south at Carlsbad, San Diego County saw some of it. So it really spread around. Well, exactly where did the actual spill occur? My understanding is that it was five miles offshore, 
and its depth in under the ocean was about 98 feet. The leak came from a pipeline that was owned by Amplify Energy, and this company also owns and operates three of the nearby offshore platforms that pipe oil into uh, Long Beach, not too far away. Now, the Coast Guard, they estimated about 25,000 to 132,000 gallons have leaked from that pipe into the environment. So that's put a, a bit of a broad range, I guess. It's hard to really tie down. Steve, uh, exactly what are the impacts environmentally from this um, event happening? You know, the first thing you think about are, oh, my gosh, what about the birds? I've seen so many pictures of the, in the, on past bills of the birds and how they were affected. But fortunately, so far, there are not very many birds that have had to be recovered. That's, that's good. But we're early into this. Even though this started October 1st, we're still early into it. The environmentalists are saying that also that it's too early to really know how the seabirds, but also how the marine mammals and some of the other animals will be affected by this oil spill. So they are uh, they are constantly on it, learning more every day, and we'll have to stay tuned to find out exactly to what degree the environment was impacted. Okay, so now the big question, who's responsible oh, for this? Yes. Well, uh, you know, what do we know about that? Well, it's still being investigated, as one would expect. The CEO from Amplify, again, that's, that's Amplify Energy. They're the one that owned the, the pipeline. They're suggesting that an anchor had been dropped from one of the big big ships. And uh, one of those commercial vessels that was probably heading over to the Los Angeles uh, Long Beach port complex, they may be to blame. Coast Guard actually has a video of the ruptured portion of the pipe, of the pipeline. It shows a thin 13-inch long crack that experts said could indicate a slow leak, not a, not a big one. So it would be hard if it's a slow leak to really detect it when it happens. The federal, home, uh, the federal transportation investigators, they suggest the cause also is an anchor that hooked into that pipeline and just caused the tear to happen, which is, I mean, from what I understand in talking to merchant marines, it's very, it's, it's written in, in big letters and lines that uh, where, where you're not supposed to drop anchors. <laughs> so it's a big deal. So if that happened, somebody really crossed the line on it. Coast Guard investigators, uh, they did board one uh, big ship. It's the Rotterdam Express. It's a German flag container ship that was assigned an anchorage closest to where that pipeline leaked. And the shipping company was interviewed. They provided access to all their logbooks showing, you know, ships locations, you know, and, and who knows what else. Afterwards, however, the Coast Guard said that, that Rotterdam is no longer under scrutiny for the spill. So evidently... It was. It probably was not them. So we just don't know right now who done it, why why this happened. So we'll have to stay tuned to this one. Well, if we don't know how and why it happened, it's hard to prevent it from happening again, wouldn't you say? I would say you're right. A lot of wisdom there. Steve, thank you so much. Nice to have you back. Glad to be back. Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion. And that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker. I'm Paul Emery. We end our newscast with Mark Cuniberti exploring a seemingly wacky suggestion. Would minting a single trillion dollar platinum coin solve the country's compounding debt problems? 
Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name's Mark Cunaverdi. With the U.S. government running a $29 trillion deficit, that from the usdebtclock.org, with another $157 trillion in unfunded liabilities, which are debts not due yet but still owed, the additional $1.9 trillion stimulus proposal, and yes, that changes daily, is being hotly contested in Congress. Washington desperately wants to authorize this additional spending. Opponents of the bill from both parties point to the fact that the debt already spent during COVID, which is about $4.5 trillion, say that adding another $2 trillion is excessive and will add even more debt to an already bloated U.S. budget. Now a U.S. default approaches and the budget problems are only compounding. With the will comes the way, and an idea that was originally tossed about and discarded in the last decade is up again for discussion. The idea is to mint a platinum coin with a face value of $1 trillion, then give that to the Federal Reserve of the United States, who would in turn deposit that into the U.S. Treasury. Then the Treasury Department could essentially cash the coin back at the Federal Reserve to fund $1 trillion in additional spending and address that government shutdown without having to add anything onto the deficit. Since the coin would be legal tender per the original U.S. Coinage Act, it is essentially just making change from the coin to U.S. dollars, which it could then spend. The idea is being pushed about by, among others, Professor of Economics and Nobel Prize winner in Economic Sciences, economist Paul Krugman. In his latest October 1st article of 2021 entitled, Wonking Out, Biden Should Ignore the Debt Limit and Mint a $1 trillion Coin, Krugman suggests the coin could provide a respectable solution to the spending plan and not officially increase the deficit. Krugman also suggests the coin does not have to actually contain a trillion dollars worth of platinum. That would be beyond huge, but would only have to be denominated as such. If you find yourself scratching your head and trying to put the pieces together in your mind, you're not alone. Not only did the Treasury Department and the Federal Reserve nix the idea a few times in the last decade, the logic of it well, defies logic. That the coin is being seriously considered by the powers that be makes more than a few people shake their heads, this analyst included. More concerning is that the Treasury Department and the Federal Reserve, for the most part, are not commenting much nor outright killing the idea like they did way back when. We have to remember different people run these institutions now and along with many other ideological changes. What seemed impossible a few short years ago is now on the table of consideration. Not everyone in Washington is on board with the idea. Ex-Federal Reserve Chief, now Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, remember her, dismissed the idea of minting a $1 trillion coin as a last-ditch effort to help the United States pay its debt, saying the concept shouldn't be considered seriously despite its popularity. Like I said, where a will comes away. I would ask, why stop at a trillion dollars? Why not stamp it 29 trillion and wipe out that nasty deficit once and for all? Well, the for all part is probably not going to happen. Wipe the deficit clean is like destroying a beaver dam. Get rid of it and you'll soon find another one. Wipe the deficit clean and do you think they would start amassing it again? Me think so. In any case, the very concept seems ludicrous. Why bother wasting the platinum? Just print a 
trillion on a lead fishing weight and be done with it. Many analysts and economists doubt the coin idea will ever make it out of the concept stage. But if we've learned one thing in the last six years or so, don't bet against putting anything past those that rule us. It likely can get a whole lot wackier before we come back to our senses. That does it for today's Money Matters. The views here are my opinions only and do not necessarily represent those of this station, its staff, members, or underwriters. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. I hold California Insurance License OL34249 and my Medicare agent approved in the state of California. My email is news at moneymanagementradio.com. My name's Mark Cunaberti. Thanks for listening. That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30, the food sleuth investigates why currants were once a forbidden fruit and interviews the farmer who led the way in overturning a ban on cultivating the nutritious little berries. And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. KVMR gets support from you, our listeners, and from Sweetland Garden Mercantile, downtown North San Juan a local ridge depot carrying plumbing supplies, PVC, camping, and fishing gear. Delivery available, open 9 to 6, closed Sundays, 292-9000, sweetlandgm.com, dig it, and Three Forks Bakery and Brewing Company, Nevada City, a craft brewery, artisan bakery, farm-to-table restaurant, utilizing local seasonal produce for organic soups, sandwiches, salads, and wood-fired pizzas. Open 8 to 8, Wednesday through Monday. ThreeForksNC.com The KVMR Evening News is produced by Claudio Mendoza and airs every weekday at 6 p.m. If you missed any stories or just want to enjoy them again, visit the website kvmr.org or listen to the KVMR News wherever you get your podcasts. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Have a wonderful evening.